0: And with that sneeze, we're kicking everything off. (laughs) It's fitting. Yeah. Well, hey, everyone. It's been a while, uh, but Aaron and I and Aaron's adorable corgi, Evie, are here, and we've got some new articles to talk about. Yeah, as you can
1: expect, we spent probably about
0: 15 minutes thinking
1: about audio quality and Evie has decided that she's going to be a lovely little background drone enjoying things. But that's the joy of this kind of podcast, yep. isn't
0: it? It's producer Evie on the ones and the twos. That's right. Well, we're going to uh, do a director's cut, kind of similar to what we did, Aaron, last time with your Final Fantasy Nine article, where we talk about... Uh, sort of the thought process that went into writing the article, and we're going to be starting with an article of mine called "The Gwyn Moment" that we we wrote, or I wrote recently in preparation for a panel we're doing.
1: That's right. I'm really excited to be talking with you about this one, Dan. Uh, and for context for people who are listening in and might not be aware. Uh, at the time of publication and recording this. uh, It is part of getting ready for PAX East 2022, which we'll be heading out for in just a couple days. Tremendously excited uh, about that. And we're gonna be hosting a panel this coming Thursday uh, all about how to understand the storytelling of Elden Ring in the context of Hidetaka Miyazaki's broader oeuvre, which we've had the opportunity to talk about at PAX before. And so we figured what better way to pregame the panel and to get some new analyses up on the site about Miyazaki's work, both old and new. Uh, and Dan, I'm, I'm glad for you because it seemed like this was finally the opportunity or the final push you needed to talk about something that I know uh, you and I have discussed at length for literally years at this point. Yeah, right?
0: I think this is uh, one of those things that we... I mentioned in the article that over time you kind of develop this shorthand for your own experiences in video games and this is one that yeah we've definitely talked about before that i always call the gwyn moment and i go i define it in the article but in short what it is it's a moment in a video game where you either weren't on board with the story that the game was telling or you didn't really get it or care for it and then one single moment crystallizes everything to the point where your entire perception of the game changes
1: And you call it the Gwyn moment because uh, your first experience of this was specifically with your encounter with Gwyn in the first Dark Souls, right? Exactly.
0: Yep. So the very first Dark Souls I played, I was late to the party for sure, um, and I was obsessively playing playing it, but I didn't really like it all that much. (laughs) And then, uh, which is funny to think about now since we're both such Miyazaki heads, but um, the very first time I played it I was... I think I was taking all the wrong things from it, like I was frustrated in the way that everybody tells you a Dark Souls game is frustrating. Uh, frustrating. I was kind of bored, I wasn't really engaged, and then the final boss comes along, and the combination of the intro- introduction of Gwyn as the final boss, the music that plays, the somber piano music, and just the kind of realization that this fight is just with ostensibly a man at the end of it it was all of these things coming together that made me instantly fall in love with Dark Souls and want to play it a million more times I love this shorthand uh, and I I
1: love that it's something that has been so useful for grounding your experiences with other games but I feel like we do need to step back for a minute uh, and think about this idea of what it is to play through a game for so long, not enjoying and it, hate it, <laughs> yeah. I, and and, and but it is interesting, especially with yeah. something like Dark Souls, right? Because I feel like the more canonical first-time Souls experience than what you went through is something more like, you know, player sits down with it, it's really hard, maybe they don't get it, so they set it aside after maybe a few yeah. hours, right? And then for whatever reason, maybe it's all the hype, maybe they just feel drawn back to it um because of the weird mystery of the plot or whatever they give it a few more tries and then you hit some kind of threshold where it starts becoming really interesting and engaging right and that's kind of what it was like for me i mean i hated it until i kind of reached the first flow experience of not dying for a while and then i felt more like oh i get this but in the absence of that if you're just having a bad time until you get
0: to the final boss like how do you get to the final boss i don't i don't know that it would happen Now, because it was a perfect confluence of my mentality at the time towards things that were recommended to me, which is what I, I go into. I had like a five step process, but it basically boiled down to if you told me I would like something, even if I loved you as a person, I immediately didn't believe you and wanted to hate something out of I don't know some weird feeling of like you can't tell me what to do old man or something I don't know (laughs) what yeah what was
1: behind that process
0: because it's it's
1: so funny you see it on in publication and it's laughable (laughs) but I feel like a a decent number of us can relate to this at least at some point in our lives
0: yeah I just the feeling that like you can't uh, how dare you think you know what I like you know and it's always it's always coming from like nowadays when people like you recommend something to me I know oh I definitely get around to that because at the very least if I don't like it, I'll be able to talk to Aaron about, like, what I didn't really see in it or whatever. But back in the day, like, when I was in my early 20s and I was in college especially, like, the first couple years of college, I just got so uh, frustrated with people who would recommend something to me as if they knew, I guess, my tastes, which in, in, (laughs) in retrospect is so stupid, but I think, yeah, we all go through something like that. And I don't know what the heart of it is. I think it's like you think you're better than me or something, but I don't know. (laughs) You you do talk about it with Breaking
1: Bad, too, so I know it's not just a gaming thing. Mm -hmm. But the more we're thinking about it now, I do wonder whether it relates to this, um, like, not great aspect of gaming culture we've talked about in the past where they're so intrinsically experience based because they're interactive yeah. right it's like whenever someone tries to say anything about games that you either have played or might play it's like why are you overlaying your interpretation onto what would be my experience
0: yeah i think it's it's definitely part of that because it's not like a it's not like a movie or even a tv show like breaking bad because somebody can tell me like, oh, you're probably, you'll are probably you probably really like that. And the, the thing that I read in between the lines is like, I want to talk to you about it, so if you could watch it, that would be great. Mm. But with a video game, exactly. It's like, you're asking me to spend upwards of 100 hours on some games on the hunch that I'll like it because you liked it. And there was something about yeah. that when I was younger, that, like, bothered me. And I, I, don't, I don't... I can't put it into words. I can only put it into five steps. So. <laughs> <laughs> even better than words. Yep. And I, I do think the
1: time commitment is a big part of that, too, right? Like, which yeah. still raises even well, more pressingly the question to me of, like, why tens of hours in yeah, Dark Souls before that we was, get
0: to that point? Uh, that was the next thing, right? So two, two big reasons why I don't think it would happen today and why I probably wouldn't... I probably wouldn't play Dark Souls today. And I think... The two reasons are the whole like um, uh, getting my dander up at the recommendation kind of was eventually became like a challenge to beat it so that I could tell this person how wrong they were about the recommendation. (laughs) But the other part of it was this was at a time when I uh, didn't have like a lot of games, I didn't have much going on so. All of my games were at home because I was in college. So any games that I had were with my brothers. And I had a PlayStation Three, and I think I had Final Fantasy Thirteen and Dark Souls. And when you've played through Final Fantasy Thirteen enough, you say anything else would be nice. (laughs) So um, I I popped it in, and it was like it was a combination of the inherent feeling in Dark Souls, where it is frustrating, but you you do get obsessed with it, even if you're not having a good time. And then the other thing was, like, it was the only thing I had. So Mm -hmm. when I was in, like, my little dorm room, it was either that or homework, I guess, which wasn't too appealing. So I think that's why I stuck with it so long. That makes sense. You talk, too, in the article, so there's, there's this
1: great moment that you described when you finally arrive at Gwyn and it completely recontextualizes all of your previous experiences with the game. And then you discuss how, having now discovered that new context you're incentivized to go through and play it again, right? And think about things differently. And that's something that, of course, has been a perennial uh, topic of interest with Dark Souls especially it's a game that's designed not just to be played but also replayed right and, and a lot of Miyazaki's work is like that right uh, and I know that both of us uh, are want to replay those games just to do things uh, mechanically differently like try out different builds or things like that but this seems like much more of a story and and player experience reason to replay the game so I, I wonder yeah. if you could talk more about that motivation It
0: was it was cool because was when I had this, the Gwyn moment, when I realized what was going on with the story. So I, I talk about how it was this thing that th- the confluence of all these different elements with the music and his appearance and the way that the fight was set up, in stark contrast to all of the other fights in Dark Souls, which are huge, bombastic, like nightmare creatures that you're fighting with right. a big orchestra in the background. This radical. Uh, change of mood made me kind of realize what the theming of Dark Souls was about which to me is very much about what it means to lose purpose Mm. and how if you can't find new purpose and let an old one decay it's as if you have no purpose at all Mm -hmm. and so to me I was really excited to go back and play New Game Plus and play through Dark Souls again with that mentality in mind because I noticed things differently so Soler became a lot more meaningful to me because he was a person that had a deep connection to this thing that he had kind of, he's, he's taking power from, he's taking empowerment from, mm. and so he's, he has a very distinct purpose, which makes it all the sadder if he does end up going hollow or going nuts, right? Right. Or um, seeing people like uh, Patches who's like this depraved lunatic, but he's kind of funny because he's made his own way in this world that's died already. (laughs) And so even though he pushes you off a cliff every time you see him, there's something endearing about like, oh, this guy's still kind of having fun (laughs) in this horrible world. So all of these characters that I was either ambivalent towards or maybe didn't like, suddenly I had a new appreciation for. And I actually found interest in like the way the world was set up What was Seath the Scaleless doing in his archives? You know, what was uh, Nito's purpose with bringing death to this world? Like, what does that actually mean? So for, for whatever, I say whatever reason, but because I kind of felt like I understand who Gwyn was in that moment, it made me understand what the game was doing and what my role in it was, too.
1: I love that, too, because... Uh, one of the other topics that interests so many people with these games is obviously its lore, yeah. right? And I think there's this either misunderstanding or oversimplification of what that interest in lore uh, amounts to, where there's a feeling of like simply because the game is obtuse and mysterious in how it's telling its story, it's an interesting and worthwhile endeavor to unearth the story and put together all the item descriptions, where. know, Maybe for certain players that is interesting, but I feel like it's a much more common story, even if it's not commonly told, that there's something to do with the story's theming or something about the world that's really interesting and grips you even if you don't totally understand why it's there yet, like the Gwyn moment. right? And then that can serve as a cipher or incentive for going and uncovering everything else in the world that has to do with that in one way or another.
0: Yeah, and I think that to me is more... That's more enriching then the the lore stuff and I know like that can be a lot of fun I do that in other games like I know everything about Kingdom Hearts as we both know but <laughs> too the, much yeah but more the than Amora probably I, yeah call me up um, but, <laughs> but I think that the the cool thing about Dark Souls is that I didn't get like the answer to a a riddle after beating Gwyn but I got a uh, as you said like a ciphered understanding the thematics of it mm. and that made me want to learn more about all the different characters and places because I wanted to see how they fit into that understanding that I'd been given or that I'd come to at the end of that Gwyn fight. So, I think that why I why I end up I ended up going back and spending so many hours and like many different playthroughs throughout the years is it's interesting to see how this is something I don't go into in the article but like if If my purpose was understanding that, right, it's interesting to see how that changes over time Mm. because it's like a continuous Gwyn moment where it's like, if I go Mm. back and I play the game and I still feel that, I start, like, I I did this the last time I played it. I start to wonder, like, when will I stop feeling that this is so impactful or cool? Mm -hmm. Like, when will this moment go away? And that, in and of itself, is reflective of Dark Souls. Of this idea that even the cool things that you come into contact with that maybe address how fleeting things are, even those realizations are fleeting. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so what <laughs> happens when you when you reach like the tenth cycle and you're just completely hollow at that point? <laughs> so, so,
1: so what is it like now? because I know you replay Dark Souls like as recently as last year. Yeah. Right. Yep. Is that Gwyn moment still the same Gwyn moment? Do you find yourself lingering on it for different reasons? Like, how has that yeah. changed with you over time?
0: I think it does. It does stick with me. Like things have, things have stuck with me more uh, outside of Gwyn, where I've had different moments. Like um, in the DLC, just kind of the the pitiable existence of Artorias mm-hmm. and how this incredible hero has been totally laid low by. Uh, we my my we've talked about this a lot, but. I think to us, ambition plays a huge role in the Dark Souls series. And when you see someone, it's obvious with Gwyn, but not so obvious with Artorias. Because here's a person who has, I would argue, more honorable intentions than Gwyn did, and he still went mad. And so it's like, it doesn't matter what your intention is. Like, the the end is all the same. So seeing characters like that, or um, trying to kind of piece together, like, you know, what what is it that might actually happen if you uh, continue to link the flame over and over and over again, right? Like, are you really doing anything good? Are you doing anything mm. bad? So th- those kinds of more deep uh, questions kind of come up, but it all links back to that moment with Gwyn because that's, for me, the linchpin of the game. So mm. every thought that I have about Dark Souls is how does this relate back to the the, the lore, the legend of Gwyn and what he did in this world. Does that
1: take you beyond the first game? I mean, one thing that yeah. we haven't talked about um, here, but we talk about all the time in our presentations and such, is each Dark Souls game is really an artwork unto itself, but also really compellingly interwoven into a singular series, yeah. right? And especially when each game has related theming, but also discrete theming, right? I wonder how much that perspective on Gwyn can inform, for instance, you know, when you're going through Dren Lake in Dark Souls 2, right? Or, you know, trying to bring all the lords back to their thrones in Dark Souls 3 or what have you.
0: Yeah. I think, well, I mean, the the clear connection is in 3 because it's almost like I don't want to say manufactured in a negative sense because I think it's done brilliantly, but there's like a there's a manufactured Gwyn moment in Dark Souls 3. Sure. And it's when the strains of Gwyn's theme play in the final fight against yep. the the Lord of Cinder or the um the final boss, right? Yep. And it to me there's he looms large like what he represents is throughout those those three Dark Souls games, clearly in Dark Souls 3 because it feels like this is a direct response to Lordran and everything that happened there. Mm-hmm. But even in Dark Souls 2, the idea that okay, take away Gwyn as a character and just re- replace him with the idea of a lord, right? Mm-hmm. Or a king. What does it mean to have a king that's kind of tying a universe together? And what does it mean when that person decays or goes mad? Yeah. And that that seems to be a through line in the Dark Souls games especially. But I would say even, even in Bloodborne and Sekiro, there are twangs of this kind of like, bygone figure who still has this weird agency mm-hmm. over the universe. Mm-hmm. And I think it just depends on your view. Like most of the time it turns out really sad right. <laughs> that they are just completely forgotten and they have no <laughs> real power anymore. I don't know if Either that's agrees. what you're saying. <laughs> <that> she agrees <laughs> or, <laughs> or disagrees <laughs> about something. She left at any rate.
1: <laughs> no, I'm with you. I I think it's interesting to think about the different games in the context of Gwyn being a kind of cipher, just point of comparison, right? Like mm-hmm. I think about, especially that, um, I don't know if you can call a moment from Dark Souls 2 I- iconic because it's, it's so divisive of a game in the first place, but I would call it an iconic moment when you see Vendrick for the first time, Perfectly right? First, this yeah. giant towering, saddened broken King, right? And, I feel like had I played Dark Souls 2 before playing the first one, that would have felt like such a non sequitur. Mm. But having played the first one, even recognizing that this is a different world, you find Vendrick at the end of those catacombs, and it's it's immediately like evoking the specter of Gwyn. He's kind of similar, kind of different. Um, it's much more epically sad, and more just forlorn and somber, and it has you wondering, okay, now that I'm not even done with this game and I've found the equivalent of what was the final boss in the first game, how do I contextualize my journey to this point and what's going to come next?
0: Well, I think, and if you want to look at it that way, because the thing about, so Gwyn in the first one, he feels more resigned than anything else, as if he, he sees you enter his kind of cave in the kiln of the first flame and he just sort of wordlessly approaches you as if he knows that's what he has to do. And... Then you have Vendrick, who it, it, you can almost like project into the future. Okay, this sad husk who doesn't even know what he's doing. Yeah. He's just wandering around aimlessly, and it's this sad, you know, decrepit old man. And then Dark Souls Three comes along, and the final boss there is supposed to be kind of all of the all of the figures who linked the flame. And so even then, it's almost as if in in this weird kind of. Miyazaki look at what sequels and rehashes do where it's like (laughs) we're dragging his corpse and his music in for just a minute (laughs) to make you feel pathos and like maybe the point is to show you the futility of it but maybe it's also that this is really sad (laughs) so I don't know but there's a a clear through line of those figures I think like the kings or the lords Mm -hmm. that they're not people to be envied in Dark Souls they're people to be pitied in a really not even like a a sense where you feel any kind of rivalry with them. It's just like these sad old men need to be put out of their misery. Well, and someone we haven't even talked
1: about yet, who's pitiful and also, you know, raises another interesting challenge to this idea of dark souls as being understood through the Gwyn moment is King Alant in Demon mm. Souls. Yeah, oh, sure. I mean, yeah, it's it's so weird to think about the fact that. Gwyn has become, I I think, for many people, not just you and me, kind of the template for the forlorn and pitiful king in Miyazaki games, because he was the first experience so many people had with that. Mm. But if you go back to Demon's Souls, right, as a lot of people probably did with the remake on PS Five, King Alant is even more pathetic than Gwyn was. Right, the final boss fight, like so many boss fights in Demon's Souls is more of a literary expression than a challenge, right? Right. Uh, When you find the real King Alant, he's a a pathetic, grubby husk who's maybe the easiest enemy you've encountered in the game, and that's meaningful in a different way than Gwen, who's pitiful but still a significant challenge uh, to people who haven't gotten good, as (laughs) I say in the article, (laughs) right? Um, But I I find that such a, a... challenging kind of piece of Miyazaki's own history to deal with, right? Because if you think about an artist's oeuvre, right, as we've thought about in previous PAX presentations, and we're going to be thinking about at PAX East this coming week, right, King Alant came first, right? And so to the extent that you're trying to do the series or do the artist justice, there has to be some way in which that is meaningful, right? And yet, it does seem like even King Alant can be understood through the perspective of Gwen as the, as you say, linchpin to Dark Souls and, yeah. and now even more broadly, Miyazaki's oeuvre, even if it is backward looking weirdly enough.
0: Yeah, but I think that that it's important to look at King Alant because that that husk that you mentioned that you find, there's something really almost anticlimactic about it because well, very anticlimactic because yeah. you fight you fight the kind of illusory version of him. And then it's revealed that that's not actually him and that this like pathetic thing crawling on the ground is really King Alant and what he's become. And he's overshadowed by really the end of the game. And so similarly, I think Gwyn is meant to be this pitiable character, but he's given a little more agency in the sense that he's still kind of he's still proudly just kind of waiting and there's a kind of mystique to that which is why I think people think more about Gwyn than they do a lot because Gwyn is someone who certainly was justified in all the the uh, honorable kind of uh, accolades and adulation that he received because of what he did in the world yeah. and so when you see him it's even more impactful that he's just a like a person at the mm-hmm. end of it and he had his time in the sun like literally and now he's just waiting for the next thing and clinging to the last thing that he ever did and it's that to me is more impactful than a lot which is more of like a, a horror movie ending where it's like oh that's okay that's what you really are i get it <laughs> well gwyn is also
1: exactly as you're talking about so resigned yeah like he's a similar figure but he doesn't have a word to say about he's anything stoic. because yes yeah. very stoic very Beyond the plot, as you've encountered it mm-hmm. in that world, whereas King Alant seems more on the side of pathetic than pitiful, at mm. least from where I stand, um, in the in the sense that when you do encounter finally the real King Alant, he's enjoining you to not kill the Great Old One, and yeah. talking about how it's it's such an important thing for this world, right? And so it's it's harder to get that same sense of relatability that yes. the player gets to Gwyn.
0: Yeah, and I think that's the that's the key difference. And that's why I would be curious to hear from people who maybe played Dark Souls 2 first because I'm sure there's people out there like that. Because my my assumption would be if you see Vendrick in his tomb walking around dragging his sword, I don't know that you would feel as uh, as much pathos for him if you hadn't experienced the Gwyn fight. I think you would maybe think oh that's weird or that's kind yeah. of spooky yeah. right but I don't know that you would get the full even if you knew who he was and like what was happening mm-hmm. I don't know that it would be as impactful and I think that likewise like I didn't play Demon Souls before I played Dark Souls Dark Souls was the first thing I played and I wonder would I have had the Gwyn moment had I had King Alant in the back of my mm-hmm. mind like right. oh how does this guy relate to the last final boss right, right. I think it would have been very different yeah. and I'm glad that I had the experience that I did <laughs> because I think I, I might have even le- King Alant may have even colored my perception of Gwyn, where I would have thought he's pitiful, not mm. or he's he's pathetic, like right. you said, yeah, yeah. in the same sense that Alant is. Not here's the stoic would-be warrior who has no purpose or place in this world anymore. Mm. Yeah,
1: it does seem kind of like a happy coincidence, although maybe one that uh, explains a lot of the success of the series, since you're not alone in being. The first one of the yeah. many people who played yep. Dark Souls before anything else, right? That the particular nature of Gwyn, right, can then not only recontextualize Dark Souls for you and invite you to play it again, but also be so interesting and challenging as a character to discover and relate to that it, it can then serve the purpose of incentivizing you to go and play the later games and see how they thematically relate to that. Yeah. Do you think that's part of, of what got you to play later once, that Gwyn moment?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I think that because that, that's eventually what I came to expect that I would have the rug pulled out for me in a really cool way and what I like about that too is for those of you who saw our, our panel going over the oeuvre of uh, Miyazaki back in what was that 2019? I think 2019 in 2019 yeah, at PAX West, West um, you'll know that I hated Dark Souls too. Like <laughs> like everyone, like yeah. a lot of people I really hated it but Aaron and I were just discussing the other day how we would rank them Dark Souls 2 is my favorite now, and I think what made me reevaluate it is thinking about the Gwyn moment and thinking, okay, I didn't enjoy Dark Souls 2. What if that's the point? What if that's the the experience I was meant to have? And how does that relate to the the clear themes of like disjointedness and disrupted um, universe that and this disrupted universe that you experience in Drang Lake? Like, what was the melancholy for? What was the cruelty for? Why Why did I get this feeling? And I think I wouldn't have thought that had I not had that palpable experience with Gwyn, Because I went back to Dark Souls after experiencing that moment with him. And I think I was able to go back to Dark Souls 2 over time and get a deeper appreciation for what's happening in that game because of how powerful that moment in Dark Souls 1 was and I think it's funny because the opposite seems to have happened for most Dark Souls fans (laughs) where they say that was so good this one is so bad right I would encourage everyone who feels that way go into it thinking why would I be miserable in this world right why is there what is happening in Drang Lake that would elicit this feeling from me and how must its citizens feel and then imagine you had to become a lord of that world (laughs) what would that feel like and how would that drain you, and kind of make these systems of power come into question for you? That's why Dark Souls Two is my favorite because it made I've I've ruminated on it more because of the Gwyn moment. I I mean you know
1: I agree with that, but I also think it raises um, a a broader question that a lot of video game storytelling and just gaming culture is struggling with right now in terms of these games right Uh, and your article about the Gwynn moment does a great job of bringing this out this idea that it's valuable or artistically meaningful for certain games to be either really hard or just Mm. not pleasant experiences right like one of the many names for games that have been inspired by Miyazaki or Dark Souls is Masochore, right? (laughs) It's like a a portmanteau of hardcore and masochistic, right? And it is, I think, hard to explain. I found it hard to explain to people who haven't played these Mm. games. Like, when the moment-to-moment experience of a game like Dark Souls or Sekiro is oftentimes so unpleasurable yeah what justifies spending so much time on these games, especially in the case when it's a new game and you can't count that your investment of maybe tens of hours or hundreds of hours is going to pay off with something like a Gwyn moment. What what do you think that portends for just video game development more broadly?
0: I think that there's, there's a sense of like figuring out the secret, which I think is why the lore hunting is so popular with dark souls because there is, it's, you can't deny, for as much as we kind of rail against people who spend a lot of time doing the lore analysis, right? You can't deny that it is a nut that is, like, really enticing to crack. Mm. Because if you could get an answer, if you could lay everything out, that would be really satisfying. So that, I think, is why people do that, because there's this feeling in the game of, like, there's something I need to understand or there's something I need to know. And what's so powerful to me about Gwyn is that Gwyn knows... <laughs> Gwyn sees the he saw what happened on the other side he's lived through basically a video game Mm. and on the other end of it is this uh solitude and quietness that just kind of eats at you and there's something so poetic about that that I think it scratches this weird nihilistic itch that we have maybe (laughs) where where it's it's, it's just feeling like we're creating purpose through the suffering, right? And we've talked about that before too, just yeah. a, a lot over the years. But I think that really is the heart of it, is that you come to the end of it and you ask yourself, well, what was the point of all of that? And then you realize that everyone in the world also must have asked themselves that at one mm-hmm. point. And you think, well, they're all still there. So the the torture that I felt, I, I can retroactively ascribe meaning to it. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that is a really fun exercise in trying to figure yourself out and figure out the secret of who you are. And I think that's why I'll just pop on dark souls when I'm feeling kind of low, or if I want something to kind of tune my brain out, because it's like a, a weird, um, not thought experiment, but like a, a place where I can go to think and just meditate because it just invites you to do that. And there's no better example of that than how you find Gwyn just meditating on everything that's happened, resigned to whatever is going to happen next.
1: It, it is, I think, as much a meditative experience as it is a story. Right? Yeah. And, and I think there's no better proof of that than the fact that someone like you can play through it uh, as a story experience and then go back to it over many years, not just to re-experience mm-hmm. the story, but also because of the kind of experience engine that it's created that allows you with a a certain window into yourself.
0: Yeah, it is. It's, it's It's an interesting mirror into it. And it's funny because as much as you can say, like, oh, Elden Ring came out at this point in my life or Bloodborne came out at this point in my life, I find that the cyclical nature of the first Dark Souls game makes me recontextualize different points of my life when I play it. So I'll pick it up every couple of years just to have that cycle, that new journey, you know, journey four or five, whatever it is, <laughs> yeah. banked in my personal memory so that I can reference it and see how my understanding of it changes and see if my feelings on the Gwyn moment change, which I wonder, so far haven't in a negative way. This
1: is maybe too <laughs> outside the box, but as you say that, it makes me wonder... Has Dark Souls or anything similar in Miyazaki's work ever led to Gwen moments in your life? <laughs> like after, you know, reworking the game so many times it leads you yeah. to see part of your own existence differently like Gwen did for your journey through Lordran?
0: Well, there's definitely, like, I have a memory, as you know, one of my favorite memories is, is a objectively disgusting one where, I was, <laughs> where I, was, I was sitting in my apartment in Florida and I was playing through Bloodborne and I played Bloodborne before, but this may be my third time going through it. Mm-hmm. And I was just eating nothing but Domino's pizza and playing through Bloodborne. And it was this weird <laughs> moment where I, lo- I look back on it. It was, it was gross, uh, to, to, be, to be totally frank. Like it was a bad time by every observable metric, I think. And yet going through Bloodborne and like doing that, it, it, it's a moment that I look back on fondly because I think it made me think like, Oh, it's okay to enjoy even moments where you maybe are wrapped in depression because Mm. there's, uh, that's almost like the, the, I know it's bad to kind of self-therapize or like, you know, self-medicate certainly with pizza, but (laughs) there is something about like, Oh, I got through that time. Right. Mm. And here I am. And I still, and I think here's the important thing. I still love Bloodborne Mm. (laughs) because Mm -hmm. It so easily could have been a moment where I said, I can't play Bloodborne because I played that when I was super depressed yeah. and eating nothing but crap, yeah. right? But I still love Bloodborne and I play it in different contexts. And so when I play it, I think back on that time fondly, even though it was a bad time. I think that's that's kind of similar to the Gwyn moment in the sense that it helps me put my life in perspective in a way that the Gwynn moment made me put Dark Souls in perspective. I think it's also a
1: great example of where the rubber meets the road in terms of uh, these games being an experience engine where even though they're hard and oftentimes painful, they can ultimately be valuable at the end of the day, right? Mm -hmm. Because the illuminating thing that I would take from a story and experience like that, and I've had similar ones of my own, is the idea that even in hard times or depressing times in your own life those are still experiences that are constitutive of your life right and so i think oftentimes when we don't have a good lens or paradigm through which to think about those experiences we try to just shut them out or repress them or think about something as an obstacle that we had to overcome right Mm. but that means turning whole chapters of your life into mere obstacles that didn't have intrinsic value and i right. feel like that's a really dangerous road to go down and dark souls shows us that
0: yes that it's all it's all part of the the cycle like every time you go through something it enriches the next time you go through something similar yeah and i think that that's that's the big my big personal takeaway from these games because we've talked a lot about what, what do these games mean and like what is the dark soul right mm-hmm. and, and we've talked uh, over the years about how there's this theme of like the, the, the double sided sword and the, the kind of pleasure and terror of ambition mm. and how it can lead to oddly like this purposelessness that you may feel in your life where mm-hmm. if you exert all of this ambition and it doesn't work out you feel like you missed the mark or if you do exert ambition mm-hmm. and it does work out you think what the hell do i do next right yeah. and here's dark souls saying you just do it again and right. i think like that sounds maybe depressing on the off but the more you do it and the more that you realize like gwyn is pitiable but he's not like a wretch i think it makes you feel it makes me feel anyway better about like okay whatever the next thing is like i got through that one i'll get through this one too and that's what's cool about dark souls to me and all of miyazaki's work is that feeling of you can always move forward even when it's it sounds cliche but it's true even when something seems like impossible or frustrating you can get through it and then you can do it all over again
1: (laughs) well i can't think of a better note to end on than that uh i think just to wrap up Two more questions I have to ask you. One that I'm going to shamelessly steal from you because (laughs) when we introduced this uh, director's commentary as a concept, uh, this was one of the questions that you thought would be great for it. Uh, And I think it is a great question. Was there anything that you left on the cutting room floor or ideas that are related to this that didn't quite make it into the article but you want to share with the readers who took the time to listen to this?
0: Uh, Oddly, not about this one. Usually I feel like... There's whenever I write something, I do have to leave like a million ideas on the cutting room floor. But you were with me when I wrote this. I wrote this in like an hour and a half. It was amazing. Yeah, because yeah. I've been thinking about this probably since that day in, at Cornell in the dorm room. So uh, that's one thing that's maybe worth yeah. dwelling on for a second,
1: right? Because the the creative process around this mm. is totally opaque to people who read it, right? But just for context for our listeners, right, like. This is something that Dan and I truly have been talking about and, and Dan's been sharing with me in various forms for years, without writing about it or sharing it with, you know, the broadly with the ter- the broader with a terrible fate audience or anything like that. And then as he said, he sat down and wrote it in all of ninety minutes, right? Whereas oftentimes, you know, another analyst, someone like me, will work through ideas over the course of just a few intensive days of writing, mm. uh, so very different processes behind all of these analyses, and I, I wonder what that creative flow and just the amount of time you spent gestating this means to you in terms of how you've crystallized the idea. Yeah,
0: well, I think the last the last thing I wrote, which was a while ago now, about last this time last year, was the article on Zemnis, and that was similar in the sense that I mentioned in that article that I've been thinking about that line that I dissected since i played kingdom hearts 2 yeah. and i think that the big the things that i find flow out of me easiest are the ones that keep entering my mind over years and years and i think like a lot of a lot of gamers too have that feeling where it's like oh there's this thing that i feel in certain games but i can't like i can't pin it down like there's this thing that it just keeps coming back i love it when it happens and I don't have a word for it. Or if I have a word, for it, it's my own word for mm-hmm. it. Like, the Gwynn moment is not academic. It's just what I call this thing. Yeah. And I think the, the writing process on this one was so easy because it was self-reflection that I've been doing for years, especially when playing these games. So it was just looking at this one particular moment and thinking about how that's affected me with Miyazaki's work, but other games too. Mm-hmm. So I don't think I left anything really on the cutting room floor um but i would say like the the tough thing about ideas like this are that sometimes sometimes it's hard to parse and we'll talk about this with your Elden Ring article sometimes it's hard to parse like y- you'll have a nebulous term that you th- you feel applies to multiple things yeah and it's hard to part like when we were talking this out i asked you do you have any moments like this and right. y- you said oh, that's not what I thought you were saying, right? Like, mm-hmm. when, when you explained this to me, I had a different idea in my mind. Yeah. And I think, like, that what you told me, um, which, if I remember right, it was basically you saying, like, a moment where, um, like, either a, a piece of the puzzle is kind of made clear to you or it's a game that you, like, just hated all the way through and then your opinion was reversed with something, right? right? Which is not quite what I was getting at. Um, but I would also say like, that's a weird, that falls under the umbrella of what I'm talking about in the sense Mm -hmm. that there is one particular thing in a game that completely changes your mind. So were there anything to be on the cutting room floor, it would probably be like, I don't know, uh, similar moments where it's like, I'm kind of with this game and I think it's kind of cool. Um, now I Hate It, <laughs> or, or, or the reverse, where it's like, oh, I hate it, I hate it, I hate it. Oh, that's kind of cool. But then you leave kind of tepid. Like, yeah. That feels similar, but it's not the very specific thing that the Gwyn moment is. Okay, so for fun, now that we've arrived at it, the reverse Gwyn moment,
1: right? You're enjoying <laughs> a Things game, are great. <laughs> and and yeah. a single thing <laughs> turns they, it all to blow garbage. blow it,
0: yeah. Um, I mean, we mentioned Final Fantasy 13, so I would say like 13 2 has uh, the 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 cliffhanger ending i think we'll have to do an entire talk about these games because we this is another thing that we keep talking about we've talked about final fantasy 13 since we've known each other yeah, we've been teasing <laughs> yeah. that nonsense for yeah. over a decade so, at this point. and you've written on it but we still <laughs> we still talk about it right. so i think um yeah like the cliffhanger in that where it's like uh games where you think like oh I think they're doing this I think they're doing this oh that's really cool and then at the end of the game you're like oh no they had no idea what they were doing mm-hmm. those, those are Sorry. super frustrating <laughs> where you take an idea and you say ah if I had written this this is what I would have done yeah, yeah, yeah. which could be a different X moment altogether I think where mm-hmm. it's like man they really had something and they squandered it by mm-hmm. not knowing what they had right there's something uh, I don't know if this is
1: a useful or deep thought or just something that's an observation and nothing more than that but this idea that one way or another there are singular moments in games that are memorable uh, Mm. where video games in general are this medium that more so than most others are are defined by just a whole slew of moments where you're playing one game for tens or hundreds of hours yeah right i i think there's there's something to be said about how the medium simultaneously expects you to invest so much time, but then promises to completely impact or change your experience over that broad amount of time in singular moments that sometimes only last like a few seconds with that line from kingdom hearts two or a few minutes, like the boss
0: fight with Gwyn, right? Right. And they're so, they're so good that that's what you remember, right? So so, sometimes you luck out and you have a line from kingdom hearts two or a moment like the Gwyn fight where, it makes you you kind of couch it and all the other good stuff that's happening. Then there are other games that I think are the, the frustrating ones that we're talking about are the ones where like we remember a, a line from it mm-hmm. that sticks out. Like again, using thirteen two as an example, the concept of Caius having seen infinite deaths yeah. of of Yule. Which Yule do you mean? Another great example. A beautiful kind of moment. Yeah, yeah which you know. I think is like when when that doesn't pay off at the end of that game or in thirteen in Lightning Returns, you almost feel like there's this wistfulness to that line like, oh, that the poetry yeah. of that could have been so beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, I think that when you get lucky, you have something like a Bioshock where mm. I wouldn't call the Andrew Ryan stuff a Gwyn moment. You could probably call it an Andrew Ryan moment, you know, or mm. a Would You Kindly moment where yeah, yeah. it's more of just a classic twist that puts your perspective in a totally different box but another great example of this broad genre of games driven by singular moments we're right. talking
1: about right because right. as much as bioshock is a great game like that's that's, that's the, the one
0: thing that people talk about 100 percent, yeah so i mean i think that uh, there's there's any number of ways that you could look at this and i think that for all of us right the, the reason and this is this is where i'll end um unless did you have another question i forget
1: Yes, but it's unrelated. Okay,
0: okay, cool. So the way, the way that I'll wrap this up then is I'll say, um, not just like this, right? But remember, the, way, the, the whole impetus for me writing this was this kind of uh, vocabulary that I had created for myself to, dis- to describe a very particular experience that I felt in just a few games. And I would be willing to bet that everyone has terms like these. And you've explained it to your friends or, you know, you've maybe put it in a forum or a chat room or something. And people don't know what you're talking about at first. (laughs) And they, they have no idea, like, where you're going with it. But then the more you talk about it, even if you don't have a term like I do, the more you talk about it, the more you give examples, the more people say, no, I have had that. Yeah, that has happened to me. And so I would encourage everyone. Um, as you, you know play through games, clock those moments because I think they're really worth discussing, not just for the storytelling of video games and kind of the academic discourse behind them, but to make sense of your experiences, which is really powerful to me. That's a great point to end on
1: and, and just to encourage everyone listening to not be afraid to create your own terms, mm-hmm. right? I feel like there's something um, almost a little ostracized about that. Like, there's the expectation that you should be able to work with the terms that are already out there, which is then ironic because you have people bandying about terms like oh this game is so immersive or oh let's talk about this game's open world where you know those those can be useful shorthands for getting into something but oftentimes if you're just letting yourself be beholden to the terms that are already out there that's how terms become so general that they lose all their meaning right or have so many things under their umbrella that it's it's hard to have meaningful conversation about them if you go the other way and say hey you know there's something that i keep coming back to in my own gaming experience uh, and I want to be able to talk about that and share it with people. And let me just put a name to it so we can start talking about it like that. Do it. Yeah, yeah. just do it, right? Be be willing to explain it and take that jump because, I mean, I, I can't tell you how many people have started talking about their own Gwyn moments uh, since you published this article, right? It's, yep. it's clearly something that is relatable in the world of video games. And I'm willing to bet that a lot of the other experiences that like-minded gamers have had could be similarly related to if they only put a name to it. Yep. For the last question, which, as I promised, is unrelated, but it has to be mentioned that you end this article with a blocked hyperlink. Yes. And I I wonder whether there's anything you'd like to share or augur to our listeners about that.
0: Yes, I would stay tuned so that we can all be big shots together. And I'm very excited to talk about the most recent Gwyn moment that I had, which came as the result of a very special deal. Ah, we'll
1: say no more, but I'm looking forward to that. Yep. Well, Dan, my man, thank you so much for chatting about everything that went into this article with us. Uh, I know it was really valuable. I hope our listeners enjoyed it. And I can't wait to hear more about that special deal.